Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. Lord, Finally, another episode of the Bomb Diaries podcast. I've made you all wait too long once again. My apologies. I keep telling you I'm going to get better at this, and I keep sitting on my hands. So I'm not going to promise you um, anymore without coming through. I'm going to come through. As a matter of fact, I've decided that for at least the next seven days straight, I'm going to give you a podcast every day, no matter what it is. So it might stink. I might not have much to say. It might be 10 minutes, but you're going to get it. Seven days straight, you're going to get something from me. I promise you that. And the reason I say that is because I've been waiting a while to to drum up what I think would be worth you hearing. But while I've been doing that, I notice the listenership keeps going up, which is contrary to everything they tell you. They say with inconsistency in the podcast game, that's how you lose your audience. Not that we have a huge one. But the audience keeps growing despite your host being a lazy bum. So I'm sorry for making you wait so long. And I really appreciate everything uh, you all are doing by listening and supporting and and all those things. So I appreciate it. So um, across the United States, of course, um, we've got a lot of listenership. I, I can't take the time to thank individually in all the different areas. But one of the things I have seen, uh, which I think is really cool, is that we, we've got an increased listenership across the world. So just for the last month, um, I want to thank uh, the, just the particular different countries that are listening to us because I think it's so cool that we can do this and kind of reach people all over the place. So um, as I get started here, before we dive in, of course, thank everyone in the U.S., in the home. These colors don't run. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate it. But also India, Canada, Australia, Ukraine, Germany, Ireland, Iraq, New Zealand, Norway, Japan, Switzerland, Hong Kong, the UK, Denmark, United Arab Emirates, and Saudi Arabia. And also, one of the cool things about my platform is it tells you it breaks up two other areas. It breaks up Australia and Canada to let you know specifically. So those listening in British Columbia, Alberta, Ontario, and Quebec... Thank you all for punching in. I appreciate it. Try to forward this to any buddies you have in Saskatchewan and Manitoba and New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. And we'll complete the whole damn map, at least the southern portion of it, which from what I understand is where the people are. And also in Australia, we've got some ground to cover. We've only got listeners right now in Queensland and Victoria. We need New South Wales, South Australia, whatever that is, North Territory, I don't know if anybody's there. And West Australia. I don't really know how your population. And Tasmania. Come on now. Send it to some Tasmanian listeners. I want a big Tasmanian follower base so that that way when we can do stand-up again, I can travel to Tasmania to do a stadium. Outdoor stadium in Tasmania is my next move. Tasmania Mania is the fan group that I want. But really, thank you all for listening very much. And I'm going to give you more content. I know I promise that all the time, but I'm doing it. Um, I, because I feel bad now. I thought I wanted to do it before because I just wanted to do it and hope to grow this thing. Well, this thing is growing in spite of me, and that makes me feel bad that I'm not holding up my end of the bargain. So stay tuned for more. Um, with that said, I'm trying to, as all of we comedians do, grow an audience base and grow a following in many different avenues, especially now 
um, ever the more necessary when you can't go out and do stand-up and there are no festivals, not that they do anything for you anyway, but there's nowhere to go out and express yourself doing stand-up comedy. So uh, another good reason to kick this podcast back in, but I've been doing a lot of videos and sketch videos lately and that you know mixed results starting to build a, a viewership but it's really slow going at least for me for things like this I do not have a for some reason I don't have a viral video or a quick sensation face or sensibility I, I, for, apparently it takes you time to fall in love with me I've I've done about 15 videos so far and when I started they were doing three or four hundred views tops and then it and then I got over the 1,000 view mark and then I broke the 2,000 mark finally. And then it took a while to break the 3,000 view mark. And then it dipped again. And then back to 3,000 and then dip again. And the last video I did finally kind of cracked through for me. Not big time, but for me. That went to 15,000 views. But again, still not a lot. Um, and it's tough. Uh, so I, I started to take a look. And this is, this is specifically on Facebook. I thought this is the thing I've been using the longest. It's what I have my biggest group of friends and followers on uh, as opposed to Instagram and, and Twitter. I, I don't really understand those. I don't know those. Haven't had them long. Never been very active. So I thought maybe I'll try to get some traction on one platform. And then once that works, I'll really develop the others. So starting to get very slow incremental. But, but these things take work. You know, the videos take, you know, four to six hours only because I, I just happen to be able to turn material around quickly. Um, otherwise, I mean, these things take forever. I just happen to be able to pump them out decently fast. But even with that said, it still takes about six hours to have it edited exactly how you want. So we're at 15,000 views now. One of the things I've learned, though, is that you kind of, it seems like the fast route seems to be to go to one of these content aggregators. And this is my plea to you, even if it brings me no benefit, is there are a lot of content aggregate sites right now. There's, there's Fuck Jerry, there, all those types of things. Content aggregators. I think they do a bit of content creation now, but mostly they're, they're beg borrowing and sometimes stealing uh, in, in some accounts cases from other people who are creating these things, putting them on one large site, blasting them out. And these aggregators have amassed a massive following, massive following. And now they're, I mean, they're multimedia outlets and conglomerates and all that to great success. Some of these outlets have just flat out stolen material and memes and videos and everything else to, to wild success. And I didn't really know this world existed all that much. I would see videos and memes get passed around and saw that they were huge. I didn't really look much into where they were coming from, which is again why I plead with you because I started looking up these content aggregator sites. And this is important to note. I thought about sending my videos to a couple of them because if you read, if you say, hey, if it, submit for the chance to be posted to our site. So I took a look at that and I was like, you know, maybe I will do that. Maybe I'll check out and see if I can get one of these pages because they're, they're good videos. They're good videos. They'd be, a, they'd be a good chuckle. Maybe they get passed out and get a, a bunch of different views. So just to give you an idea, at least from the video, uh, the video avenue, I went onto Facebook and I looked at, I just looked at a quick one and I think this is the biggest page I could find. It's just called Funny Videos. And of course I look and it's got just under 4 million followers. 
And I'm looking at this thing and a bunch of my friends follow it. Like my, my friends list follows it. And that's increasingly the case with these content aggregators. So I thought, you know, it seems like my videos fit the format. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll submit to see if they'll publish any one of these, right? So they give you a website where you can go. And again, they, have, <laughs> they, they, they do have a big audience. I will give them that. Did nothing to create this content I'm about to send, of course. But giant audience, and I do not have a giant audience. So I was about to submit one of my videos, and it gives you, you know, name, last name, email, title, the file for the video. Um, you can add a description. Do you want credit? Um, did you record this video? This and that. And then at the end it says, I accept terms and conditions. And I read that... Being the being the eternal lawyer that I am, you can't see that without at least clicking a little bit. So I pulled up the terms and conditions. Now, as part of the terms and conditions, you are basically signing away as a as a video content creator. This is flat out. Here here's here's one of the clauses. The title is perpetual royalty free exclusive worldwide grant of rights. And here's the text. By adding or uploading content to Launchpad, well, this company, either to or through the services, you are transferring exclusive ownership of the content to this company. Said transfer irrevocably grants them the sole and exclusive worldwide ownership of all right, title, and interest, in parentheses, fully paid, royalty-free, licensable, and transferable, in whole or in part, in and to this content and all elements thereof, and the fully paid, royalty-free, licensable, and transferable worldwide license to all embedded third-party copyrights, trademarks, patents, trade secrets, privacy, and publicity rights. It goes on and on. So in that one, you are signing away complete ownership of your created product it's not an, it's not enough that you're submitting your content to an aggregate that's going to use your content and be able to exploit it not only for your gain but for their gain as well it allows them to post and share and they're going to get a lot more followers and viewership of this than you are because the four million people that follow this site are not going to look at this video and say oh wow I got to find this kid out in the middle of the desert in Bakersfield and follow him to see the video he posts every 10 days. They're going to go, oh, no, this is why I need to follow this particular Facebook site, uh, Funny Videos, because they post one of these every hour. I can't do that. I can only create one of these every 10 to 14, 7 to 10 to 14 days, maybe, maybe two a week in my best weeks. They can find one of these and post them every hour, and they've got a constant stream of content. Now it's not so. Not only you give it up, and and they're probably going to get more of it than you are, which I understand that power dynamic. Rightfully so. They've got an audience. We don't, as creatives, a lot of us, but they take full and complete ownership, which means I own nothing of my intellectual property that I provide. By providing it, they own all of it, and. That's one, I could see that being debatable of take it or leave it, right? Take it or leave it. You know, if you want exposure, you should do this. And you should not be so, you should, you should be a little more get over yourself kind of thing. 
submit this video so you don't own that video. You can make another one, make another one. If you want to use their site, you that's a fair bar. I could see somebody making that argument. The, the artist inside of me disagrees and is heartbroken to see one of these things, but I understand. I personally think they're getting enough by getting the content. I wouldn't think they would. Uh, I, I think it's too much for complete ownership of the content, but this is where, this is the one that, that chases me away completely and I, I feel like is inarguable. Uh, provision F, your personal use. Now, that last provision I read is, is just about you giving ownership and license over to all of your, to the content you provide. This aggregate now owns it for their personal use and don't need to pay you, don't need to consult you, nothing like that. The next couple of paragraphs kind of lay out how you have no right to use it anymore, basically, until this paragraph, which is, which is the one that threw me away from it. Personal use. Further to the foregoing, this company grants to you a limited, non-transferable, non-commercial, personal use license in the content for the purpose of personal use, including using the content in your personal social networking accounts online, in parentheses, which should be set to private. So, if I submit to this website, now I look, I get it. If you've got, if you've got a video of a dog tackling another dog, or your kid falling down while swinging a t-ball bat, or he hits you in the junk while he's swinging a wiffle ball bat, I get it. Sign away. But I, I'm an actual comedian making actual content. And so this is saying not only do you sign away all ownership and rights to it, but you can only you can only even use it anymore to post. You you can't make money off it. You can't monetize it. You can only if, if you post it, they they would give me a license to use the content I created in my social networking profiles provided that I make sure that they are private, which means there's no chance for public consumption. Only my so on Facebook, only my Facebook friends list can see and use it. This means I can't open it up to the public for the public to see and share. And so the reason I tell you that is if you like this podcast, if you like specific comedians, if you like specific online personalities, what I plead with you to do is find us if you like our stuff and follow us. Don't be the cattle run into the biggest trough to just to just find the easy thread of humor and content and creativity because because these things are sucking the life out of the people who the creative people who really make the things that you enjoy and it's creating a game that we have no choice but to play um, to reach anybody but by doing that it takes the entire essence of what we can provide and bastardizes it. So <laughs> this has really took a turn for the worse. So to, to start off, thank you very much for listening to this podcast. I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate it. But again, if I put this on Spotify or iTunes or YouTube, I've got the ability to monetize it and still own it. And it's, it's a platform. And these are the biggest, these are the biggest companies and aggregates in the world. But it's a, it's a degree of fairness. This thing here in your, in your 
content aggregates that you look at your favorite memes from, that you look at your favorite videos from. I got a good friend of mine who just posted a meme that went viral, 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 hundreds of thousands of likes. And I hope that it goes well for him. I think last time I spoke with him, he'd gotten about 100 uh, social media followers from it um, out of hundreds of thousands of likes. If you're one of the people who sees those things, if you see, if you click on it, if you see a meme or a video and it's got 10 million views and it's got 400,000 likes and you happen to like it, as you click like, please find that person's personal accounts and page and follow them and their content. That's, that's what counts. Otherwise, you're sort of, I, I wouldn't say promoting theft, but it's, it, it's, it, you're, you're, it's taking part in a in just a a dirty game, and I and I'm really struggling with whether to play that dirty game or not because I, it's starting to feel and look like there's no choice. If I ever want to have more than ten fifteen thousand views on my videos, uh, but I ju- I just don't think it's right and something I can't get on board with. So if you would please take my pleading, um, even if it has nothing to do with my content, the next time you see something that's really good online, just a really on point meme, a really cool comedy sketch or video, really cool painting, whatever it is. Don't just don't just look to the aggregate where you're getting a ton of these thrown at your face. Find those individuals that are putting stuff out um, that really inspire you or hit you the right way or whatever. Check out the rest of their accounts and profiles to see if they it, to see if they just hit your mark and follow them. You'll be You'll be what we like to call upstream of content, which is what everybody, everybody's got an inner hipster in their life, right? Everybody's got an inner hipster, hipster in their belly. That's what you want to be. You want to be upstream of the content. You don't want to just be on some meme site getting blasted in the face with what everybody's, oh, you see that one? <laughs> Get upstream. Be one of the people that finds these and distributes the stuff that nobody's seen. That's the cool guy thing to do. So please, if you get a chance... Do that and thank you for listening to my TED Talk. I will now jump off of my soapbox and get back to talking about just um, what's going on. I, by the way, I appreciate uh, you all listening. I meant to tell you that this will be a solo podcast. Obviously, it would be weird for somebody to walk in 20 minutes into this. This will be a solo podcast. I'll be doing uh, more of these as well. I'll have guests at times, but I'll be doing solos as well. Seriously, let me know if you enjoy it or if you'd rather wait till I have guests. I'm curious to hear. It's not going to be quite as chop it up funny and goofy and silly uh, because I don't, in, I don't entertain myself that much. But hopefully you find some good insight, interesting things to talk about. Inject a little bit of humor in there and let me know if you feel it. I'll keep doing it for as long as you're interested in it. So um, what I'll do is kind of what's going on in, in life, comedy premise roundup, anything in my phone. And we'll get out of here and I'll be set to talk to you tomorrow. Next topic I wanted to discuss is uh, the fight of the elderly century. The fight of the centurions coming up. Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr., the exhibition match that everybody's buzzing about. I've been a fight fan for most of my entire life. I fell in love with the UFC when I was a child back in the old like UFC 2 and 3 days. Um, fell in love with boxing pretty early in my life as well, especially for Mike Tyson. I used to, you know, be woken up, uh, so that I can watch it late at night, watch his fights. Um, 
and never got out of it. I had a brother that got me really into being interested, especially through Roy Jones Jr. Um, I'll never forget when he fought. I forget who this guy was. He was by nature a kickboxer. And Roy Jones used to do the most spectacular pre-fight shows. He brought Method Man and Red Man out. He was playing a Method Man, Red Man song, The Rock Wilder, and then pulled a curtain back and brought Method Man and Red Man out from behind the curtain. And he performed his own pre-fight show whooped this dude's ass, told everybody afterwards that he had a broken left hand that he couldn't even use during the fight. I mean, this dude was the stud of all studs, the most unmainstream spoken about boxing legend of all time. We should look at the guy in the same in the same popularity that we look at Mike Tyson on the mainstream side. I mean, this dude was amazing. He's fighting Tyson. And Cool thing, hometown shout out. Uh, one of my brother's good friends and uh, a boxing trainer is going to be the person training Roy Jones Jr., Mr. Tom Yankello. Congratulations to that. Always cool to see a hometown legend get their due. And nothing cooler than seeing that name, Roy Jones, say that name on ESPN. Coolest thing ever. So that's cool. But with that said, I do not want to see this fight. Roy Jones is in his 50s. Tyson's in his mid to late 50s. Um... I mean, Roy Jones's prime was, he's been fighting a little bit in Russia, I think, but his prime was years and years ago. He hasn't looked right in a couple of years. I've seen his training footage. It, it doesn't look fantastic f compared to him. Now, again, this is pre-Tom, so who knows? Who knows once he gets with Mr. Yankello how this is going to look, but I saw the pre-footage. Didn't look great. And when it comes to Tyson, I know everybody's a buzz about this training footage, but he didn't look right in the ring over 15 years ago. That was over 15 years ago he didn't look right in the ring. He looked punchy, he looked slow, he looked beaten down. That was 15 years ago. And one of the things that he always talks about is that he had to abandon that person that he was as a fighter because he doesn't like the person that he becomes when he switches to that fight mode. So you know, I love them both. I'd hate to see either of them lose. I don't want to see the two of them fight. But I think the best thing that can happen to this man is for is to not look great. I hope I just hope neither of them get hurt. I hope and I hope Roy Jones wins. I don't want him to knock him out, but I hope Roy Jones wins because I'm somewhat afraid to see what happens with Tyson if he does win. You know, I don't want he's the one who said he hates the monster he became when he was a legend in the ring. I don't want to see another eat his children. I don't want to see that, Mike. I know a lot of people love that, Mike. One of the things I realized is these cult figures, I typically love these cult figures just like as much as the next guy does, but I usually love them for very different reasons. Like I remember when I was growing up, the thing on Tyson was everybody imitated his voice which kind of sounds like a dumb guy and the mispronunciation of words and the trying to pronounce multi-syllable words and they kind of make him sound like a dumb guy. But then I listened to him speak and listened to him during an interview and I think I was in, I was in, my, te I was in my teens at this time and I remember hearing it and going, you know, I know smart when I hear it. This is a, this is a smart, insightful guy and this is a, this is a, just a, terminally sad guy you could kind of feel it shine through as he, he's very insightful he's very introspective um but he's but he's very he's he's very sad in his life but intelligent and 
that's when I really took a liking to the guy. Like I, it's cool to watch the videos and see the intimidator and see the larger than life presence and all that stuff. And I know that's what most people love him for, but that's not really what I, I was always into the vulnerability that this dude would cry on, and he would cry on camera and cry that he was upset and he was scared, openly admit to being scared. You know, a lot of people play that tough guy thing where they think, you know, you can't be vulnerable, can't act scared, can't act sad, can't act sensitive. This is the baddest dude on the planet for the sake of the whole planet that I've been aware of. Openly always talks about how scared he was and is and how sad he was and sometimes is. I didn't love Mike Tyson because he was scary. I loved Mike Tyson because he's scared, duh. And he was still out there doing it. That's the real inspirational tale to it. And and you can't give the guy enough credit for being able to dust himself off and build himself back up into the man that he is today and the success that he is today, which is another reason I don't want to see him fight, man. His fight is over. He's got that whole highlight reel of legendary wins and knockouts and stuff. And then we watch the fall from grace and we watch the build back and we watch the guy build himself up into into his success and watched him build himself up into feeling really good about himself. And I'm just, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm just worried that this is not, this is not the move. And I don't think it's going to, at best, it's not going to help that upward trajectory. And at worst, I think it could significantly hurt that upward trajectory. I mean, let's just hope this thing stays an exhibition and stays fun. Or let's just hope that he doesn't look embarrassing, but he doesn't look great enough to keep this thing going because I, I would rather not see it. Does anyone else feel that way, by the way? Do you do you get that do you get that feeling about yourself? Like you you kinda you love these cult figures, but not for the reason that everybody thinks they do. I've got that same relationship with uh Hunter S. Thompson. I'm a huge fan of Hunter S. Thompson, but I am a prude. I don't I barely drink ever. Don't do drugs. Don't shoot bazookas. I've shot a gun three or four times in my life. It was always disastrous. But I am a writer and a creator. And and the reason I like Hunter S. Thompson is because, number one, I love his writing. But again, same thing. Number two, um, when I read his writing, I get a strong air of not just vulnerability, but of humility in his, li- in his writing, is that... Th- when he says these things that kind of come off as brash and cocky, most of the time it also comes off with an air of like, I, I don't believe this or I kind of believe it, but kind of aren't sure that it's true. Um, and I'm laying myself open to you. It just seems like a very, it, that he was a talented special guy that was very honest um, and very forthcoming. And I've, I've always appreciated that in his writing. You know, don't get me wrong, when I read his, everybody does that thing where they read the Hunter S. Thompson schedule, which is basically just him smoking cigarettes, doing drugs, cocaine, boozing, um, from the time he wakes up, which is a really weird time of day, like 4 p.m., until he goes to bed at like 6 or 7 a.m. or something like that. And just this crazy wild man day, and everyone's like, yeah, see, that's what it is. And I'm like, I, that doesn't do it for me. The guy who did that and was kind of a dick to some people in his family and I believe his wife a lot at times and, and you know, beg, borrow, and steal to, to keep the party alive, that's not the thing that I think is cool. 
But despite that, when I read his writing, I see a guy who's vulnerable and very good natured, um, good hearted, I should say. And, and his nature fights his heart on a constant basis. And that conflict is what fascinates me. I just finished reading a book of his. I believe it was called The Proud Highway Saga of a Desperate Southern Gentleman, which is in the title, You've Got Me. I mean, I don't know if he designed that title because what the book is is a collection of his letters um, from the time he was 19 or 20 years old until he was around my age. So I thought that was cool. I, I didn't really... I kind of skipped over the first couple parts because I don't want to read anything you write before you're in your mid-20s. Not, not to be a jerk, but it's just you just haven't lived enough to write about what's happened in your world, let alone what you think of the world. There's nothing worse. Um, and I love you guys, for those of you who listen, but I was you very much. And I just want to say there's nothing worse than someone who's been through one and a half semesters at community college telling the world how it works you don't know you suck there are people a lot older and more experienced than you and they suck i did the same thing i proselytized when i was a kid and then i lived a little bit of life and worked a little bit and then went back to school and when i went to law school that's when i really realized that i wasn't shit because you're forced to write perfectly and you're first forced to research perfectly and you're forced to read a lot. And when you do those things, when you really critique yourself and you really study and research history and, and citations and sources, you realize that you're nowhere near as original as you thought. You realize you're not as revolutionary as you thought. You realize a lot of these ideas that you thought you generated and hold true and parroted or whatever, there are a lot of people that came before, during, and will come after you that have much more articulate, drilled down, better versions. Um, so long story short, I didn't want to read Hunter's shit when he was 19 years old. I don't, I don't need to know that guy. I skipped ahead to the late 20s, early 30s guys, which is still young, or at least I like to think so at 34 years old. But the cool thing that really connected to me is, like I said, big Hunter S. Thompson fan, but fan of his work, not fan, not fan of his antics, fan of his work. And what I really think his personality was when the when the when all the you know the sh the show stopped. He wrote what's probably my favorite book, certainly my favorite fiction read, which is the Rum Diary, which is the basis of this podcast. My the title is an homage to. That's why I call it the Bomb Diaries. Is if you read the Rum Diary, it's about a journalist around my age that moves to Puerto Rico. Um, to try to find something better and gets caught in the throes of what's going on down there. And it's basically just a living fictional journal of what his life was like and his, his trials and tribulations and struggles down there. It's again, it's, this is a fictional book. It's not even the gonzo journalism, but part of it borrows from his reality and part of it doesn't, which is I, this book I read now, The Proud Highway, is how I learned about that. Because in his letters, coolest thing ever, um, he talks for, I mean, eight or nine of the years of the documentation of these letters. He's sending them to people here. And I didn't read the letters to his girlfriends or his wife or anything like that. I didn't, just didn't want those. Again, I like his work. I don't need to know the intimate details of how he was with those people. I read the letters only to his colleagues and the people he admired professionally. And there was one guy 
God, I wish I remember his name. It's been a while since I read the book. His name was William, maybe it was William Kennedy. And uh, he won, I forget what what prize he won, but he was also a New York Times bestseller for this fictional book. But anyway, they started, their communications started beefing with each other because Hunter S. Thompson in real life applied to work at the San Juan Star, I think it was called. It was a newspaper in Puerto Rico. And um, he was turned down by this guy. And so he wrote back a scathing letter and the other guy wrote back a snarky letter and they just got to be friendly through busting each other's balls, but then became good friends. Over eight or nine years, Hunter keeps telling him in this, in this, in this correspondence, I'm, I'm about to write my great Puerto Rican novel. I'm about to write my great Puerto Rican novel. Um, still need to work on the rum dyer. And you realize over eight, nine, ten years in these letters, he's toiling over this book that just happens to be my favorite book, The Rum Diary. And he goes from just the idea stage to letters where he's kind of thinking about it to letters where he started writing it, but he doesn't think it's good to letters where he scrapped it to letters where he's written it. And it's pretty well done to letters where he's taken it to publishers and agents where nobody will pick it up. And then finally, through other articles and books, he's starting to get some traction but still hasn't been able to, like this, this book seems to be the one that just stuck in his craw for years and years and years and years, which I had no idea about. But I, before knowing that, The Rum Diary connected with me. And after reading that, it is close to, you know, like I said, this, I started this podcast and called it The Bomb Diaries, but only because um, I only started the podcast because I have, written a kind of a book slash manuscript before the podcast began so this is a year or two ago two years ago called the bomb diaries and and i've got i've got a manuscript put together that's been sitting in a drawer somewhere that i haven't touched in probably at least a year and probably spent a nearly a year drafting this thing and it's just been in the back of my head of what are you going to do with this thing and it was so cool and funny to read Hunter um, with the book that I enjoy most of any fictional book I've ever read, going through that same thing at the same ages, almost the same ages that I'm doing it. Now, not to say that mine will ever become, but it was just a cool thing. And I was like, God, I like that. And uh, it's a reason I wanted to, this is, this is your next episode, because I just want to know if if you have that with cult figures, if you feel connections to them because of their like the specific mainstream things that they're known for, the antics, or if it's um, something behind that. Because I'm really trying to find out what makes things take off and what makes people take off. I'm wondering if more people are like me or more people just like the antics and they're really into that. By the way, I know I talked about uh, my comedy sketch videos in the last episode. I tried to post one last night which is the favorite one i've done man favorite one i've done and it got shut down i posted it on facebook and um basically what it was was i simulated my girlfriend's workout she does a she does a very cute girly workout where it's all resistance bands and you know body weight stuff and she's skipping around and it looks like she's dancing around so i put on a pair of tights and a belly shirt and then high-waisted shorts and another belly shirt and a hat that goes way down over my eyes and did all this and did a did did a sketch 
to the exact pinpoint music cues of the song from Napoleon Dynamite, the one he did the dance for, Jamiroquai's Canned Heat. And it is, I mean, it is frame for frame perfection of seamlessly going from dance move to dance move during the song. Put it on Facebook and got, got hit with that copyright, baby. They hit me with the copyright and so they muted it. So I really wanted to leave up the video, but it's just me with no sound doing this bullshit. So I, <laughs> I got screwed. I got screwed. It was the opposite version of the aggregators. So YouTube has a has a relationship with Warner Media, which is who owns the rights to that song, I guess, because that's the aggregate that Jamiroquai had to deal with. This is shit we deal with. Um, so I'm gonna put it on YouTube, and I petitioned Warner Media Group to see if I could use it for just this parody video. So keep your fingers crossed, and I'll have a really goofy, silly fun video to send you in the meantime feel free to let me know your thoughts mike tyson hunter s thompson any other cult figures your cult figure and why you like him be curious to hear it otherwise take care talk to you very very soon in an episode that's probably longer than this with a guest or i'll give you a good comedy story to to grow on we'll see but otherwise thanks for listening Hold your head when the beat drops.